0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I don't know how you feel about this, but the further I go, or let me say it better, the further the Lord takes me in the study of the Word and teaching, you know, just chronologically, day after day, week after week, month after month, the more I. More excited I am about this word of God, the more I am overwhelmed with the truth, with the richness, with the power, with all that God does and who He is as revealed in His word. And so, once again, I want to thank you for regularly being here. You may or may not realize it, but every time we are speaking and teaching the Word, whether in this class or in the preaching of the Word on Sunday morning, the difference between teaching and preaching, but the administration of the Word, the Holy Spirit is at work in us doing a sanctifying, cleansing, maturing work. Amen? Amen. You may not even realize it, and most of the time most of us don't realize it. And then occasionally something happens and we realize, "Wow, something's changed in me because that a year ago would have caused me to oh, you know what I'm talking about?" Yeah. And what is that, that? The work of the Holy Spirit. So we're continuing in the ascension. We may never leave this subject. It gets bigger and bigger every week we go along. (laughs) And so here we are, and that's just the way it is, and I am excited about it. Make no apologies for it. So we're continuing talking about why the ascension. And ask you this. How many of us have a greater appreciation of the ascension of Jesus Christ today than we had before we started talking about it? Do we see it in, in a larger, more powerful, all-consuming way? So one more time, to put it this way. Apart from the ascension of this risen man, you see how I put it? Apart, because we want to distinguish between the two. Apart from the ascension of this risen man, we would not be saved. There would be a man according to the image of God in the heavens. But had he not been exalted as king of glory, he would have been exalted, sorry, as king of glory because that was God's plan. But had he not then sent the Holy Spirit as a result of his glorification or of his exaltation or as he has been authorized as the king of glory. Remember the king of glory in Psalm twenty-four ten. Who is the king of glory? We wouldn't be here. So all that Jesus did, all that he accomplished would have accomplished the purpose of the Father, but for one man. But God, you see, created not just to have one man in fellowship, but to have what? A nation, a holy priesthood, a holy nation. And we are here today because he ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit. And do you remember what we talked about last Sunday? What is the essential Work of the Holy Spirit in being sent. Jesus said in John 14, he who? The Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. So as those who are in a church where the Holy Spirit is emphasized perhaps more than other churches, let's make sure that we do not make the Holy Spirit The goal, he is the divine person sent by the Father authorizing Jesus to send. So the Father sends the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, right? For what purpose? Is to manifest and bring Jesus to us, to glorify Jesus in and among us. Why? Because in this risen, exalted man, God the Father has chosen as to the humanity of Christ to set his glory manifestedly in this risen man. Do we see that now? And so when we receive Jesus by the Holy Spirit, We are receiving this man in whom the glory of the Father has been deposited in humanity, in this man, on our behalf. And as we are gathered together in him, and as he permeates all of us by the Spirit, we are now those in whom the Father's glory is set, is residential, And is being manifested by the Spirit, correct? And so we're continuing today and we want to talk today about, if you would, the mechanics, if you would, of what the Holy Spirit does. So this morning we're going to begin to talk about how the Spirit who is sent, how he brings us into our union with Christ. How does he do that? Now how many of you remember I gave you some homework, how many, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but how many of you actually read Genesis 224? Hopefully someone did. You remember what we said many times. The Old Testament Adam Brates. Remember the word Adam Brates? Foreshadows, speaks about, and reveals. The Old Testament Adam Christ. And remember what we said, that the New Testament verse, Colossians 2. Oh, my word, where's my mind? Is it 2.17? And Christ is the substance. Do I have that in there? Mm-hmm. Oh, 2.17, Christ is the substance. In other words, the entire Old Testament, from beginning to end of it, is the revelation in shadowy, types of Christ as creator, as redeemer, who comes in the form of humanity in the incarnation. So the Old Testament is all about one man. God's purpose of creating for the purpose of depositing his glory, the fellowship of his very presence in humanity in sending this man to redeem us so that we could be participants with God in the nature of God, partakers, rather, of the nature of God. So last week we asked you to read Genesis 2.24. So why this chapter? There's a lot in the Old Testament that adumbrates the relationship of Father and Son and the sending of the Holy Spirit, but there's something that is really unique, I think, about this particular chapter. Let's talk about the background for a little bit because we don't want to grab chapter 24 out of context. You Remember, after Adam's rebellion, and what happened when Adam rebelled, remember Adam was created as God's first son. And he was given authority by God to rule over the world. Do you remember that? In Genesis 1, multiply and fill the earth. Remember, be blessed and multiply, be fruitful and subdue and rule. So Adam was to be the ruler, if you would, the representative of God's sovereign rule over creation. Adam was going to implement the sovereignty of God upon the earth in a human way. But when Adam rebelled and when he sinned, what happened? By bowing down to Satan, Adam willingly handed over his right to rule. To whom? To Satan. And as a consequence, Satan gained the title, and God allows this, remember. God allows this. He gains a title that you see in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. What does it say? He is called now the God of this world. Jesus says, the ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. And so how did Satan become the ruler of this world? Adam, who was created to be the ruler of this world, hands it over to Satan when Adam sins. When Adam obeys Satan as his master rather than obeying God as his master. But after that, God promised to do what? Send another man, Christ. Remember that? The seed of the woman to reclaim his rule. Remember Genesis 3.15. God sends another man, and that man will be the one who will, Satan will bruise him as to his heel, but this man will crush Satan as to his head. Why head? Because head represents authority. And so another man will come, and through his obedience, how does he do it? Through Jesus' obedience. Adam was to be obedient, and his kingship was based on God's giving it to him, but him having to obey to maintain it. And so Jesus, because of his obedience, is able to crush Satan's head at the cross. And as a result of that, Jesus regains, if you would, Ad, uh, the the uh, rulership that Adam had, that he gave to Satan, it comes back to humanity in this man, Jesus Christ, who was died on the cross and who rises from the dead. That's what Colossians 2, 13, all sins having been forgiven, and 14 and 15, you remember those verses, having triumphant over this ruler. And the rest of the Old Testament records the acts of God that anticipate this. So in Genesis 12, 1 to 2, Yahweh appears to Abraham and he gives Abraham a promise. And he says this Go from your country. Now remember, he appears to Abraham. Notice this. Abraham is the father of the faithful, as he's called. Abraham is the quintessential example of a man who has faith in God. If you want to know about what does faith in God look like, who does what, who responds, and so on, you look at Abraham. And some churches will teach this, that in order for you to be born again, in order for you to have God in your life, you must call upon God. And if you call upon him, then he will save you. How many of you have heard that? If you call upon him, so the prerequisite in becoming a child of God in that kind of a theology is based on our calling God to save me. Amen? And so as a result of that, the great work and the burden becomes we got to get the gospel out so people can know that they need to call upon the Lord. That if they don't ask Jesus, if they don't seek him, if they don't call upon him, if they don't do whatever, they won't be saved. Isn't that it? And so there's a huge burden of what we must do in order that people be saved. But look at the example that the Old Testament gives us of the man of faith. Abraham is a polytheist. You know what that means? He's worshiping everything that moves. You know, um, gala, gala to everything. And Abraham's Abraham's doing what I typically do. He's minding his own business. He doesn't interfere with other people. Linda Reed can tell you about this. One day I'm going to wear the t-shirt she gave me. I'm minding my own business. Abraham is absolutely ignorant of and uninterested in Yahweh. There's not an inkling in him that says, I need to know God. Why? He knows all these gods. He has enough gods in his household, he doesn't need another one. They got statues and things all over the place. Now, look at the first words of Genesis 12. What happens? God appears to Abraham. And what happens? God says, go from your country. Notice, did, do you have it in your notes? Do you have uh, bold letters, the word your and bold? Uh, from your, underline your. Go from your country, from your family, your kindred, and your father's house. In other words, I am taking you out of the context of your dead life, your sinful life, your natural life. I'm taking you out of that context. I'm pulling you out of that and I'm taking you to my country, a country that I will show you where I will dwell with you. Do you see that? And I will make you a great nation. What does Abraham do? He goes. He goes. Something, I don't like saying it this way, I'm going to say it this way purposely. Something happened inside of Abraham that convinced him, yes, I'm going. That something was the work of the Holy Spirit someone. So what Abraham did, he did not do anything to be accepted by God. God accepted Abraham as his man to which Abraham responded acceptingly. Do we see that? 1 John 1, 12, and 13. I'm sorry, John 1, 13, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 tell you that. So I want to make sure again, we are saved on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, which is given to us as God's gift. And part of that gift is Is the generation or regeneration, renewal of our minds and our hearts and our souls to say what? Yes. Faith to be saved is not a work. It's a response that produces a work thereafter. The work of the Holy Spirit, right? So for the next 25 years, Abraham walked in faith, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. For 25 years, he waits. 25 years. And remember, Isaac is born in Genesis chapter 21. 25 years. Genesis 24 picks up the story when Isaac is marriageable. He's at a marriageable age now. Now, let me read just some of the verses here. And get the context of this father who is going to send his servant back to his own people to get a bride for his son. Do we hear Christ in that? So look at chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant... The oldest of his household who had charged up charge of all that he had, he said, put your hand on my thigh. And he asked him to, you know, swear that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife or a bride for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Why? The Canaanites are a picture of those who do not belong to God but will go to my country. He's sending them where? To his own people. And to my kindred, to my family, and take a wife of my son Isaac. Do you remember that? So who is Isaac? Remember, Isaac is this beloved son. You remember the beloved son in Genesis 22? Isaac is, what, 20, 21 years old? And the Lord appears to Abraham and he says, take your son, Isaac, your only son, by the way, he had another son, but that's another day, the son whom you love, the beloved son of the father, take that beloved son of the father and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him to me. You remember the story? What word, where do you, what, what passage comes to your mind when I said the beloved son of the father? Matthew 3, 17. Or Luke 3, I've forgotten the verse in Luke. This is my what? You are my what? Beloved son, in you I am well pleased. So what do we have here? In verses 1 to 10, Abraham is the father of the beloved son who instructs his servant to find a wife from Isaac. And in the rest of the chapter, recounts the events of Rebekah being brought to Isaac to be his wife. You remember that? So what is this? This is a picture of the father whose desire is to give a bride to his son. You see, this is a picture how God fulfills his Genesis 126 purpose, how he has a people and will have a people after his own image. And this is a picture of what is happening in heaven when Jesus, having been crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, and having been given all authority in heaven and earth, sends the Holy Spirit. It's a picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus will do in the New Testament. Father sends the servant into the world to get a bride for his son. Well, you say, wait a minute, Jesus sends, but Jesus sends the servant on the authority of God the Father. And that's what we're seeing as we see Jesus sending the Holy Spirit into the world. So how does he begin to make us his children? The Holy Spirit has to be sent. He is the servant of God. And to whom does he go? To whom does the Holy Spirit go? To whom does the servant go? Bertus, to whom does this servant in chapter 24 go? To only one group of people. Am I right or wrong? Judy, to what group of people? His own family. Now, you need to know this because we're going to talk next week about Romans 8 and 30, 29 and 30. And keep this in your mind. To whom does the Holy Spirit Go for a bride for his son. To whom, Phyllis? To only one group of people in all the world, millions of people in all the world. Where is the servant going to go? To one group of people. Who? My family. Well, wait a minute. Who is this family? Is God's family? But before these people are born into the world, this family is not a created reality yet, but is what? In God's mind. Correct? How many of you have ever seen the statue of David in, uh, I don't know, is it the Louvre? Remember that great statue Michelangelo did out of stone? You, you, you know, I'm talking about the great statue of David. Beautiful, Incredible you know david standing on in a- incredible where was that statue before michelangelo carved it out where was it in his mind what you see is that statue is the revelation in a time context of what was in his heart and mind that's the family of god that's the fan. Well, how can we be there when we're not? Of course we can. We do it ourselves, don't we? We do it ourselves all the time. We have a thought, a picture, something, and then we move to what? Bring it into existence. Are you with me on this? Okay. So whom does God love? He loves his own people. And he sends the Holy Spirit to save his own people, whom he knows before he creates them. Darlene, do you see this? Everybody see this? Natalie? Warren? So, why are we here today? I'm not here today because I receive Christ. That's not the reason I'm here. Sissy, are you here because you received Christ? No. You see, if we would ask, why are you here? Because I received Christ. I was born again. So that's not the reason you're here today. You were here today. We are here today. Because we were in the Father's mind as his people before we were ever created. Being born again was the result of the work of God bringing us to the reality of being in God's mind. Amen? You see, because if I say... I'm here today because I've been born again. I've accepted Jesus. I've, I was baptized. I said a prayer, whatever. The emphasis, don't you see? The emphasis is upon me, honey child. It's upon me, what I've done and how I've been. And the prayer I said, it's all about me, and it's all for me. It ain't, James. It's all about God it's all for God and it's all from God. You're here today because God knew you ahead of time and the Holy Spirit zapped you as he did me at a particular time. So what does that mean? Is it possible that somebody whom God wants to be saved won't be saved? Is that possible that God will miss any of his children? Is it possible? No. No. So when you begin to worry about all those people who may not do this and that and the other thing, remember this, God saves every single one of his children. In heaven, there won't be a seat vacant. Can you say amen? You see, if I, I know I'm taking my time on this, but the issue is this, and it's so prevalent. If my salvation, my union in Christ has anything whatsoever to do with my decision, I can undecide myself out of Christ. I am here because God has made the decision that I will be here based on His knowing me ahead of time. Amen? To which I said and we all said what? Yes. Do we see it better? So let's change our terminology. Let's get rid of this foolishness. I found Jesus. It's foolishness. And say what? Jesus found me. Do we understand that? Do we all get it? Do we see the difference? I found Jesus. Where's the emphasis? Floyd is on me. I prayed, you see. I prayed. I heard that preacher, and I said, I prayed, brother. And I was saved when I prayed. No, you were saved before you prayed. You just didn't know it until you prayed. Can you say amen? You were saved before you prayed. You just didn't know it until you prayed. (laughs) Right? We want to get Away from this absorbing I, me, and my, and be absorbed by God, God, and God. And this is important when stuff goes on in your life and you begin to all of a sudden, uh oh, whatever, and you clinging with your end of your fingernails and you remember, I'm here because of God's eternal plan and purpose, having known me forever before He created me. Amen? Amen. Billy, you got it? That's why you're here. How many of you know this is a good thing? Because if it weren't like this, how many of us think we'd be here? (laughs) We ain't here because we decided to call on Jesus. Well, doesn't the Bible say something about calling upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved? Yes, but that call is the response to a previous call. That call is the heart's desire to say yes. Let me move along. The Spirit is the Father's divine servant sent into the world to gather a bride for his son. A bride from his own family that has been elected when? We were elected before Genesis 1-1. Before Genesis 1-1, we were in the heart and mind of God. Can you say amen and glory to God for that? And why do I pound it? Why do I repeat and repeat and repeat? Because our flesh and too much of church preaching has over the years put me in the center, center, center. Who is at the center? God, God, and God. I can't stand it when people present something of themselves as the basis That means we don't have to do anything? Exactly. We don't do anything, we receive something. You see, Rebekah was not chosen in order to become part of Abraham's family, but she was chosen because she was already a part of Abraham's family, the servant going to her by the Holy Spirit, because the servant of God, I'm sorry, God had already chosen Rebekah to be the wife of Isaac, and Rebekah didn't know that, and Isaac didn't know that, but God knew it. And so Rebekah did not become the wife of Isaac because... She did something to become the wife of Isaac. She became the wife of Isaac because she said, I do. Correct? Let's make sure we do not make too much of what we do in this or what we don't do or what, whatever. John 10, 26 and 27. Look at this. Think about this verse very carefully. Jesus is talking to the people and he said, he's talking about sheep. Remember sheep and the sheep folding and the door and they're going in the other, uh, other way. I am the, uh, uh, the shepherd of the sheep. Remember that in John chapter 10? I'm the good shepherd. And he says, you do not believe in me. Oh, is this in your verse right there? Now, look at it very carefully. Why don't you believe in me? Here's what we would say. You do not believe I'm sorry, you do not have eternal life because you do not believe, right? Jesus didn't say that. He says this, you do not believe in me because you are not what? What, what? I can't hear you. You're not my family. Julio, you believe because you were part of what? The family before you ever heard the gospel. He says, you do not believe in me, not because you didn't call upon me, because you didn't do this or the other thing, because you didn't. He says, you don't believe me because you ain't my family. Extremely important verse. Most people get it backward. You do not have Jesus because you do not believe in him. Isn't this the way we would say it, hear it? How I mean, come on. You do not, not say because you do not believe in Jesus. Is that right? No, it's not right. You do not believe, you do not have faith because you're not part of my flock. My flock, my family, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How many of us in this room heard the voice of the Son of God calling us into eternal life? How many of us heard? And when we heard the voice... Why did we respond? Because we were in God's intention and purpose, his family coming home. We were not foreigners. The reason I labor this and the reason I believe the Holy Spirit wants to labor this because too many in the church today are too connected to ourselves. And not enough rooted in the rock of ages, thank God he saved me I'm going to skip john seventeen twenty to twenty four you have it in there just ask you to take a look at those verses again. Jesus is praying in the garden, speaking to the Father about saving people. And He's talking about those who are in me, I in you, we're together. And so it's this, this union, this family activity that Jesus is speaking about. In fact, in John 17, He says, I do not pray for the world. How many, of you've heard, how many of you have heard preachers say, pray for the world that everybody be saved? How many of you have heard that? How many you've heard, that's, Jesus didn't even say that. He says, I don't do that. Now, if Jesus says, I don't do it, what does that mean, Donnie? You don't do it either. Pray for those whom God gives Jesus out of them. How do we know? Well, then we pray, Father, send the Holy Spirit to your family and save Your family members. Amen? That's how you do it. Well, how do I know who he... Well, you don't have to know. You're just faithful to speak and preach and share the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to pluck his family members out of this Satan's controlled world. Right? Do you have to know who should be saved? No. So... Suppose you're witnessing. And for 20 years, literally for 20 years, no one is saved as a result of your ministry. Have you been successful? Have you been successful? If you hesitate, you're thinking too much about us. What is success? They that do the will of my Father. And if the Father sends you into the world as his ambassador, which he does for each one of us, and our lives touch no one by the will of God, you are successful because you are walking in the will of God. Our success is, has nothing to do with how many are saved. Can you be relieved of this man-centered burden of what we must do and how well we must do it and how many get saved because of what I say and what I do. Can we be relieved of that and put the whole burden where it belongs, on the shoulders of God himself? Amen? And too many churches, the burden is on getting out and go out and go out and, and grant people because they need to be saved and do this because they need to hear. Well, yes, they do. But the purpose is not. So they, the purpose is, Father, send us into this world and send us out and preach through us and minister to us. So you will use us to pluck your people out of the fire, right? And if my life, Results in only one person being saved, and your life results about results from a hundred thousand being saved. If we have both obeyed the will of God, we are both successful. Whose work is it? Whose result is it? Who gets the glory? otherwise, it's all about me. And it's all so wonderful about how well I can teach and preach. And don't you think I'm doing a good job and I hope I do better tomorrow because I want to touch somebody else? Ugh. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four and following tells us how the Spirit fulfills Jesus' prayer. Once again, let me read this and listen. listen. do you have it in your notes? Now look, look, listen very carefully and see if you can I, that's Jonathan back there. way, yeah, Jonathan. everybody say hello to Jonathan. All right, I love it. Read this, let me read this to you, and look, look at it carefully and think and sense something from God. And see if you detect any, any activity of what we must do. Listen to this promise. Holy Spirit is speaking through Ezekiel about the saving of his people. And he said, I will. Who? Who? Based on what? Based on what? What you will? No, based in God. Do we see it? How do you see that? I will. I will take you from the nations and gather you. Remember Abraham, come out of your country, come out of your house. Same thing. People of God, I'm going to take you out of this world system. Now, no longer to be controlled about it under the God of this world, but under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you out. In other words, I'm going to save you. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into my own land, into the church. I will sprinkle clean, uh, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. And then you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers. Who's doing what? Who's doing all the work? God is. Do you see anything in there that says, in order to get this, you must first call upon Jesus? Do you see it in there? No, no, no. This prophecy is then exampled in the next, in the first 10 verses of chapter 37. So you read those, the valley of the dry bones. And here's what happens. These dry bones, these dead. What does Ephesians 2, 1, um, 2, 1 say? We were what? When we were what? Dead. We were dead. We were dry bones. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel doesn't say, well, yeah, if I preach the gospel to them, yeah. He says, you know. Only God knows. He says, prophesy. What is prophecy? Speak the word. Speak the word. Remember the word of God? Somebody said something about this. The word of God is what? Quick and powerful. That's King James. What? Active and alive. And more powerful than what? Even a two-edged sword. Speak the word. And when the prophet began to speak, what happened? Them bones going to live again. And, they, and this one connected to the boom, boom. You remember that song? I don't remember, but you can hear their tune. And all of a sudden, by the end of, the, uh, chap- by the end of verse 10, there stands an army. And God, ah, Baruch, breath, spirit. And they become a living army. And the wind is blowing and it's going back and forth. And you hear it and you watch and things are happening. And what's going on? Is God ah, breathing? It's the work of Ezekiel 36. I will, I will, I will. And it's the same thing when this old priest says to Jesus, I don't get this. What do you mean we got to be born again? And Jesus said, you're the ruler of the Jews and you, the teacher and you don't understand these things? I'm telling you what's in your prophecies. Go back and read Ezekiel 36 and 37, and you'll see the Spirit moves where he will. We hear the sound of him. But, you know, God is moving. We were that valley of what? Dry bone. And guess what? There wasn't a bone out there who says, help me, help me, help me. And God says, "Whoo! I hear a help me. I will go and help you. Their bones are what? Dead. When Jesus tells Nicodemus, this is, we must be born again, this is what he's referring to. So, next week, we're going to be in Romans 8, 28 to 30, and we're going to start looking at some of the theological terminology that discusses this great work of the Holy Spirit of being sent by the Father as his servant into the world to collect a bride for his beloved son. Amen? So read those verses. Those of you who are in the uh, pearls already have heard a little bit about this. It just happens to be coincidental, but that's how God is. See you next Sunday. Thank you so much.